This is the All for the Gators podcast. Nothing but Gator greats, where your hosts bleed orange and blue. And now, your Gator alumni hosts, John, Andy, and Sid. And we're back to the next episode here, gentlemen. I'm your host, John Spano. This is the All for the Gators podcast. My co-host, Andy Pankratz and Sid Kafka. How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful. All right. Great to be here. Good to be back again. Great episode last week. Oh my gosh, so good. We're coming down to the end of January, fellas. We got to get that January bracket challenge out there. We decided last episode that we're going to do favorite Gators wide receiver for our January bracket challenge. So many good choices to choose from. I can't wait to see. Obviously, the linebackers uh, came through pretty good there at the end. Uh, interested to see where we go with the with our wide receivers. I'm sure our guest last week will be on the list. He better be. Yeah, you think? <laughs> uh, so let's just go over real quick how this works. For anybody, uh, any follow, new followers or new listeners, uh, you know, WJXL in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Sports Radio, home of the Gators, our affiliate there. Anybody on iHeartRadio or listens to us on podcasts. We do bracket challenges one a month. We post on social media an empty bracket with a, a category. On social media, you comment or like. That's like a vote for a player. And then the seeding is based on the amount of votes or comments and likes combined. That sets the seeding. And then there's each matchup is posted separately. And then once again, comments and likes will determine the winner of the matchups all the way to the winner of the bracket. So it's not... Who's the best? Understand, I understand Carlos Alvarez was an amazing receiver back in the day, but his fans may not be too active on social media. So just keep that in mind. That's when they get angry with you, right? That's the fun part? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. (laughs) You guys enjoy that, do you? Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, Also, you want to stay on top of our social media. We always do tons of giveaways, uh, autographed cards and magazines. We just gave away a really awesome Fighting Gators magazine with Jarvis Moss on the cover and it was signed and you know, getting off Troy Smith from the championship game. We're going to be giving away some cards of Redell Anthony and our guest today and some of our former guests. So if you want some cool Gator swag, check us out on Twitter, A4TG podcast on Twitter, all for the Gators with the number four podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, anywhere you get your podcasts as well. And I would like to add, these are legit giveaways because I've been asking John to give me any of these things and I've earned nothing. So um, everybody who is receiving that have legitimately earned it through proper channels. There is no favoritism. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm waiting for the Jeff Chandler card. <laughs> if you go back to the Jeff Chandler episode <laughs> of All for the Gators, he's uh, the Gators all-time leading scorer, kicker, uh, but doesn't have a single card. Even in the pros when he went to the 49ers. So we don't have any. So that was the joke. <laughs> All right. Our guest has joined and we were talking about our January bracket challenge. Your favorite Gators wide receiver. This guy, this guy might be on the list and he might do very well. well that narrows it down. We got a receiver today. So which receiver do we have this time? All right. Well, this week's guest was a teammate of last week's, Redell Anthony, for one season. He comes from Moss Point, Mississippi, where on the football field, he flashed enough greatness for a young head ball coach (laughs) to come calling. As a Gator, this man set himself apart by catching touchdowns with attitude and style. They call that swagger, boys. Rarely seen in the swamp. Capping off his career in the orange and blue with an SEC Player of the Year, first team All-SEC selection, consensus All-American honors. Wow. He was a finalist for the Blitnikoff Award as well in 1994, all of that. 
when he scored a total of 16 touchdowns, 15 catching, which led the nation. <laughs> Looking at the UF record books, this guy ranks seventh all-time in receptions, fifth all-time in receiving yards, tied for second all-time in receiving touchdowns. But when he left UF, he had the record with 29. Wow. And that was also the record for the SEC. And no one has put on a Gator helmet and caught more touchdowns in a single game <laughs> than him with four. Gentlemen in Gator Nation, listening all around the world, I give you Elliot Cornelius, otherwise known as Jack Jackson. All right. Wow. Thanks for coming on the show. Definitely. Thank you. Glad to be here, guys. All right, Jack. So cool to have you on with us. And before we get started with your stellar collegiate career, you were a teammate of last week's guest, Redell Anthony. And I just want to get your thoughts on him and the rest of that freshman class first of receivers with Ike and Quez coming in your last year at Florida. So what were your thoughts when they were coming in? You know, they were very talented. Yeah, I remember going through the recruiting process with those guys and uh, had an opportunity to meet a few of them and spend some time with them on official visits and uh, was very impressed when they when they showed up. Um, you know, a lot of them had been like me previous running backs or previous other positions than receivers, so it all worked out well for us. So you donned the illustrious number one at UF. We know the prestige that kind of behind it today, Reggie Nelson, Percy, Kadarius Tony, among some of the special players that have worn it. Did that legacy start with you? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to think that I had a part in that. You know it. I think you did. Definitely. Did you wear that in high school or was that no? Nope. Just- so actually, no. My first number in high school, I was 25, and I switched to number two. And at the time back then, It Takes Two was the song. And they used to play uh-huh. It Takes Two. <laughs> and, and then when I left there, I left high school, I said, I'm no longer going to be number two. I'm going to be number one. And that's where it all started from. Is that the it takes two to make a thing go right? That is right. <laughs> That's right. It takes two to make things go right. That's right. Uh, what's on Jack Jackson's playlist these days? Oh man, I'm I'm old, bro. I'm old. I listen to a bunch of reggae and uh, blues stuff. All right. All right, good deal. So prior to donning number one, let's take it back to Moss Point High in uh, Mississippi. Moss Point High. Moss Point High, excuse me. Yes, sir. So it's kind (laughs) of hard to do research for stats before the late 90s online. You know, internet not around yet. So uh, why don't you tell us about some of your accomplishments? Usually John likes to include those in his intro. So um, what is he missing out there? What can you tell us about your high school accolades before you became a Gator legend? It's kind of crazy, to be honest with you. Um, I played running back. I played running back the entire time I was at, at Moss Point. And uh, I just decided I wanted to play receiver. So they finally let me play receiver. I only played receiver for one game, and that was against Pascagoula, Mississippi, which is Shane's old high school. Okay. And I had a great game there for that one game, last game of the season. That's basically the only time that I played receiver uh, until I got to Florida. So when I got to Florida, I had to learn how to play receiver because I had always been a running back uh, for my whole time, my whole career in Moss Point. So uh, it kind of worked out good for me. So were you All-State running back? I mean, did you get accolades from, from playing running back? Did you play other sports? No, I, I didn't. Actually, the, how I even got on the map recruiting-wise, and you, you're not going to believe this, how I got on the map recruiting-wise at receiver is – I went to a football camp at Florida State, and my my high school coach, deceased Mr. Billy Miller, said, man, I need to get people to see you do something 
on this level. And uh, so I actually took a uh, the Greyhound bus. Pascula was already at their the whole team was having a camp at Florida State. And so they were already down there. And my to, to be honest, my, my coach put me on a Greyhound bus to go down there. And when I got there, I played receiver at Florida State camp. I never I didn't play running back. I played receiver there. And that's where all the buzz came from me playing receivers at that camp against all the Andre Hastings of the world and all. Okay. Yeah, all those guys. Being a late bloomer to the receiver position, do you think uh, if you maybe got an earlier start at that, that maybe you could have had an even more illustrious career? Or or did that play to your benefit that you kind of were learning as you go and natural talent came through? How do you see that? I don't know know if it would have helped me anymore. Um, I think I did pretty good on my own. Uh, you sure did. So it just uh, being a running back, uh, it was just easier for me to transition to playing receiver because I wasn't scared of contact. I didn't have any problem with running through contact, and uh, and I was already fast, so that was natural. So it just basically, and and I had one of the best coaches in Dwayne Dixon, and Coach Spurry worked with us as well. So I learned from some of the best how to play the sport. So that camp is that where the Gators saw you? Nope. That's where Bobby Bowden and um, oh. Bobby Bowden came recruiting. And um, what's the defensive backs coach then? Um, I forget his name. Um, but that's where they found me. And from that point on, uh, they had a when at their camp, they ranked all the top players on their board there. And they, we actually got to see the board. I was number two, only behind Andre Hastings. And I had never played receiver any other time. <laughs> A natural. So that's where the recruiting jumped off for me. Well, we've gotten some pretty cool stories about players being recruited by Spurrier. So you got any for us? Anything stand out? And how did that process go for you? To be honest with you, I only met him twice. <laughs> I met him uh, okay. I met him when on my official visit, and he did the in-home visit. And at the in-home visit, i never forget this. Uh, when he came in, my dad had the TV on, and uh, he came in and cut our TV off. My dad didn't like that that well. <laughs> Be careful whose TV you turn off. It sounds yeah, like really. something Spurrier would do. Yeah. <laughs> so he cut the TV off, and my, my dad kind of it kind of rubbed him wrong. But hey, it was him being him, so it didn't really matter. With all the prestigious football programs in Mississippi, you, know, you have Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss. I'm a Packer fan. I think Favre might have been there back then. Why leave? Why leave the home state and head towards Florida? What was the reason? Did you were looking for a change? Uh, it was it was different. Well, back then you got to remember, um, you only had you had Mississippi State and Ole Miss, um, really as the only two. Obviously, they had USM, but Mississippi State, you know, had a um, a bunch of guys from Moss Point had been had all played at Mississippi State, so there was like a pipeline from Moss Point to Mississippi State. And then uh, back then, the head coach at Ole Miss back then was Billy Brewer. Uh, they were all good. They were average to, you know, they weren't spectacular or anything, but they were good programs. But my grandfather was an older man that grew up during mm-hmm. slavery. Um, so, you know, I always had a problem with the Rebels thing. And my mom always had a problem with the Rebels thing. So I just couldn't see myself going to a university talking about Rebels. And at Mississippi State, um, it just, I don't know, Jackie, Jackie Sherrill recruited me very, very hard. I took a visit there out of the kindness of my uh, 
my head coach Billy Billy Miller, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. It just it wasn't you know by the time I had gone there on official visit, I had just come from um, I had just come from a visit at Notre Dame with Lou Holtz, and I had just come from uh, Auburn with Pat Dye, and I had just met Coach Steve Spurrier. So I wasn't in, I was impressed with those guys. I really wasn't impressed with the other guys. Were those your top three schools that you were looking at at the time? No, uh, my top schools were um, was actually between Notre Dame, Miami, okay. and Florida. So, what sealed the deal for Florida? It just uh, the opportunity. To be honest with you, they're the only ones. <laughs> they're the only ones. Miami wanted me to come as a running back. Notre Dame was was touting me as the next Rocket Ishmael, and Florida's the only one that just said, "We just want you to play receiver. You don't have to do all the other stuff." So everybody else had a vision for me, but Coach Spurrier had a different vision. All right. So Spurrier hooks you, right? And you get to Florida, what, 91? Is that right? Yes, sir. And they redshirt you? Yeah. I, I came in. I actually came in actually banged up. I'd hurt my knee that summer uh, before the before my senior year in high school. They uh, wanted me to have surgery, and I told them no. So I played my whole senior year with a torn uh PCL. Oh, wow. And uh when I got to Florida, I just had the arthroscopic surgery to clean up all the stuff I had done my senior year to be eligible. So were you sitting out that year healing and rehabbing mm-hmm. or did you actually get on the scout team at all? Yeah, I did and uh I was killing the scout team. So yeah. That's when I that's when I knew I was I was ready. Um I played against Larry Kennedy's and all those guys. And they knew what I was all about, but they knew I was redshirting. But by the time I got, by the time I was ready, because I almost, I almost wanted to leave because I didn't understand the whole process. Because uh, I looked at the depth chart when I was there, when I first got there, and I was like, like number six receiver, but I was behind four or five other guys at my position, not understanding at the time that because I was redshirting, I wasn't able to be put into the lineup as far as the roster wise. So I got kind of upset and had to talk myself off the ledge a few times with wanting to transfer. But uh, it was my fault because I didn't understand. And I didn't. And the only way I really understood one day, Coach Dixon pulled me in the office and we had this conversation about this and him explaining, man, look, we know you're one of the top receivers, but you're not eligible to play this year. So don't look at the board. And I was just looking at the board and saw the depth chart and I'm out there killing people in practice. And I just didn't understand. So a few of our guests have told us, like you're saying, how important their time on the scout team was to their development. And it sounds like you've had a similar experience to almost dominate, I guess, the first team gave you the confidence. Is that fair to say? Yeah. About time, halfway, almost towards the end of uh, the year that I registered, man, I, I already pretty much knew that I was ready. Um, but again, it's it's a mental thing. When you used to be in, all American coming out of high school and you're all world everything. And then, you know, people are telling you that you're, you're looking at a depth chart that says you're the sixth Z, the fifth Z on the, and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> so it, it was, it was a mind thing, but you know, the development going through, going against the scout team and playing other, other people's positions and all that. It, it really lets you um, get an idea as to what you can actually do. 
And even though you're not going 100% full tilt all the time on the scout team, you still get to work against those guys in one-on-ones and and seven-on-sevens and and all that stuff. And then I'm looking at the guys that's that's starting, and once I'm I'm sizing them up, I'm like, dude, I do that and then some. So (laughs) it really just makes your confidence that much higher. This is kind of a stupid question probably, but I really don't know the answer. Why would they redshirt you then if you're – you know, if you're doing so well, did they regret redshirting? Is that a decision they had to make early? Well, it was the injury, wasn't it? So I'm going to tell you this. So you, you might remember this. We played Syracuse that year, the year I redshirted. And they had already made the decision to redshirt me. Well, Syracuse had Quadra Ishmael and and all those guys, and we were getting blown, <laughs> going, blown up. So, yeah, Spurrier – turns to me turns to them we need to put him in and then we're like no we're gonna he's red shirting he's 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 red shirting if he plays he's gonna burn him and that's when i that's when i I learned about what was really going on i knew i was doing well at practice i knew what i was able to do um and i knew i could have helped the team but they had already made the decision and you got to remember too i had just had orthoscopic surgery and got my knee cleaned up and all that so I knew what I was doing on the practice fields. I knew what I was I knew I was ready, but it's almost like I got an extra year just to sit and watch and 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 really just have the confidence. So by the time I was playing my redshirt freshman year, it's like, man, I've been beating these people over here all year long. Yeah, we've had a few guys on talk about redshirting and that it was a benefit. That you know, it, it's treated as a benefit. Yeah. But I mean it's gotta be something for Spurrier to be asking for you. To get in the game, right. I mean, your confidence must shoot through the roof when the head ball coach wants you on the field. Yeah, but by that time, you know, you, you, by that time, you've already experienced watching guys, and 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 and, and believe it or not, people size the, their other teammates up too. So they know when they're looking at their teammates, they know their strengths and weaknesses, and they know how they compare to them. So you know, you can't, you can't. Um, be concerned, you know, like my first time, my first time, and this is the God honest truth. And all the people will tell you the guys are, when I first came on my recruiting trip to Florida, my attitude was I, they introduced me to Trey Everett and Trey Everett goes, who's he? And I said, I'm the one that's going to be replacing. You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shots fired. So, and he's cocky. He's, he's cocky. He's there. He ain't, ain't going to be all that. And I'm like, my mindset, I didn't come here to sit there on the bench and play second fiddle. I've been a, an All-American, all-everything my whole life. So this shouldn't be any different either. After sitting for that year, you come back in 92 to a pretty loaded team. We got Shane at quarterback, Eric Rett in the backfield, Willie Jackson, Aubrey Hill. Where do you see yourself fitting in at the beginning to make your impact on the offense? What was did you have an opportunity out of the gate or Oh, no, 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 no. My mindset was already I was wide receiver 1 in my mind. So, when I first touched the field, I didn't even think anything other than what I just said. I was wide receiver number one I didn't I had great respect for Willie Jackson I had great respect for Aubrey Hill I had great respect for Harrison Houston I had great respect for Trey Everett but neither did I not at one point did I think that I wasn't the number one guy well that season definitely goes well for you 35 catches almost 500 yards three touchdowns it's the kind of early beginnings of the spur your fun and gun 
Did you realize at that time that it was going to be a perfect situation for you at Florida as a wide receiver? Yeah, I I knew before then, though. Yeah, it it was, to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed. I thought I would score more touchdowns my first year than I did. But I did get my feet wet. I did have some big catches. Um, And and you got to understand, at that time, you had players that had played two and three, two years with Spurrier. And, you know, he had great confidence in those guys. And, uh, you know, it was it was it was tough. The first year was a good first year because, you know, again, I had never that was the first time I really played receiver full time in a game situation. All right. So let's go to 93. You guys come out swinging after dropping the SEC championship game to Bama the year before getting off to a three and start to the season. And you're returning more kicks this year than you did the year before. And in week four versus your home state's Mississippi State squad, you return a kick 100 yards, which I'm guessing must be a UF record. And this has to be one of your favorite plays of your career. Can you take us through that kick return? Yeah. So you're not going to believe this. <laughs> well, like three days before that, I got hit into we were we were having seven on seven. And I ran a route across the middle and I jumped up and Lawrence Wright hit me. All right. And I dislocated. Well, not this okay. I separated my shoulder. So they didn't even know. We didn't even, they didn't even know if I was going to be able to play that game. And so they put me in a harness and I I practiced with that harness for the next two or three days. And then to be honest, when the game started on that return, I was running so fast and cut back. I didn't want to get hit (laughs) because I had, I had a separated shoulder at the time. (laughs) So when I ran that, um, when we did all of that, you know, I, I reflect on that. All my teammates know that, man, he wasn't even supposed I wasn't even going to, they didn't even know I was going to play the game. So it just worked out that way, man. I, I don't know if I was scared. I was so scared I didn't want to get hit or I was just fortunate enough. And it was against a team that obviously is from my home state. So uh, it worked out well for me. That was a big game early in the 93 season. You have a huge year, over 50 catches, almost 1,000 yards, 11 touchdowns. Gators played well, too. Go 9-2, and two, make it back to the SEC championship game versus Bama. Get the ring this time. And even though you were on the team redshirted in 91 when they won, obviously you were a much bigger part of this team. You are on the field for this one. Uh, how special was that, your first SEC championship that you were a big part of? How, how does that stand out to you? It was great. It was, uh, it was one of those deals where, man, you know, Everything we had been working for building, you know, the the crazy thing was that you know the year the year I came in, uh, that was the same year with Ellis Johnson and Kevin Carter and Mark Campbell, Henry Mc. We all we were all so close, so we always wanted to put our stamp on being an SEC championship, uh, be a part of that team because all we heard about was that '91 team, '91 uh, team SEC champions and all of that. So. Um, it just worked out great for us. Um, a, a lot of those guys, Larry Kennedy, all of us had a major part in that 93 season. So the Gators go on to route an undefeated West Virginia team in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Right. Back before This is back before the college football playoffs. So for our younger listeners that may not remember, the Millennials perhaps, how important was it for a player and a team to go out, play well, and get a bowl victory back then compared to now? 
Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's the same. You know, whenever whenever you're you're playing a bowl game, especially a big time game like that, because at that point, West Virginia was like big big time stuff. They had, I don't know if they've won like lost like maybe one game or so back then. And when we played them, um, there was a lot of hype. You know, we were we were happy to be at the Sugar Bowl. It's like every time we went to a bowl game, it was like the Sugar Bowl. So it was one of those deals where we expected to be at the Sugar Bowl. We expected to win games. You know, we weren't fearful of anybody. You know, we always play, and we played against the best competition. And at that time, the best competition was Florida State. When we locked horns with Florida State, those were the creme de la creme. Those were the guys, these days, versions of Alabama. You know, they were, Florida State was dominating then. So we would have had a bigger impact over over college football history had it not been for the dominance of Florida State back then. Yeah, no, I remember the Sugar Bowl being – it still is a big game. But I remember back then, yeah, the Sugar Bowl was definitely a big deal. And if it wasn't for Miami, FSU probably would have won a, a few more. Or if they had a better kicker. That's exactly right. When you think about the football in the state of Florida back then, oh, it doesn't even compare to now because you had three teams, three teams that were – top five, top six teams. So, you know, three of the top five or six teams in the country all resided in Florida. Yeah, consistently every year too. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and then there were there – were, the football field was littered with All-Americans. Everybody had three and four All-Americans. We weren't scared of Alabama. We weren't scared of anybody. When the teams in Florida dominated everybody. That's right. Let's take it back to uh, <laughs> the first wide right. Uh, FSU Miami. Andy, you know where I'm going with this, right? Oh, God. <laughs> and, uh, actually, we were, I think we were in middle school, and Andy's father took us to the Orange Bowl. We grew up in South Florida. Okay. So when we were in middle school, of course, you know, they're winning championships since, what, 83? Right. Every other year, they're winning the national championship. <laughs> um, so we go to the game. I'd just gotten a job at a movie theater, like, concession stand whatever and i had to start at a certain time and i made andy and his father leave the game early it was crucial you got to the theater to make the popcorn man (laughs) the game wasn't important the popcorn was calling and we were driving uh, we had just left the parking lot like driving home and we heard it on the radio wow definitely not all for the kings and i gotta be honest to this day i still feel so bad like that, that thought pops in my head, literally, like, you know, a couple times a year. Sorry, <laughs> off track. This is all for the Gators podcast, not all for the Canes. That'd be a different story. Uh, they wanted Jack Jackson, but he didn't go there. So we're not going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about 1994, Jack. All right. Season opener, New Mexico State. Oh, you know this game well, right? You grabbed four touchdown passes, setting the school record for most in a game. Uh, it's been tied since then for by, I believe, Ike Hilliard and Pitts. But how does it feel looking back that you're on top of the record list at Florida for this? And I mean, for several others when you left, even though they've been broken or tied. But how does it feel looking back, knowing that you have a spot in those record books? Uh, it's it's humbling, to be honest. And the crazy thing is, like, even when I look at the record books now, I look at stuff differently. Uh, because I always look at stuff and like even even as these records are being broken now, um, I always equate to me what what it really means. <laughs> so it's like I look in like the all time touchdown record is what thirty one uh, by Chris Dorn. So <laughs> I always 
think in my mind, I said, that's great. I said, but you did that in four years. I did it in three. <laughs> and so I'm like, had I played another year, let's say I averaged another, oh my God, let's say I just averaged another 12 to 14 touchdowns, then what would the record really be? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at stuff like that and being cocky and being uh, competitive, you know, I look at stuff. I said, well, look, here's what you do. Take my averages or take my numbers and half the games that I played, uh, we were blowing people out. So I only played a half. So I never get to play a whole game. Only time I get to play a whole game is when we're playing Florida State against the best of the best teams. And that's Florida State back then, the Auburns. And then then go see how many touchdowns I had on those. You know, I just think different. So I, I would love to have seen what I was able to do if I played uh, for four years. <laughs> how often do you play that card with your buddies or former teammates and, and bring that up? Oh, they play it. They, <laughs> they, they play it. They know. Even even the game against New Mexico State, I only played a half. <laughs> I didn't play the whole game. Do you ever think back about what it would have been like to stay for that extra year? Do you have any oh, regrets there? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I do. But my body was failing by then. So by the time I left, Man, my body, my knee was all, everything stemmed from my that knee injury from my high school. So by the time I left, my body was failing, and I knew I was mm-hmm. failing. So, and and consequently, even when I got to the NFL, I was already having knee problems. So, you know, it wasn't like I didn't mm-hmm. know. Me staying another year would just have no, one less year I would have played in the NFL that's had an opportunity to play because my body was already failing. Well, let's go back to 94 real quick. You go on to literally have a career year that year, almost 900 yards. You lead the entire nation with 15 receiving touchdowns, and you added one more rushing for good measure. Uh, do you feel, and, and Riedel brought it up last week, the competition between you know all the wide receivers there, Doring, yourself, Ike, Quez, Travis McGriff, it made him a better wide receiver. Do you feel having those teammates you know, made you a better receiver, or was it just Hey, this was your time to shine, and, and you knew you were you were this good and got it done. Yeah, we 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 all got better. You know, iron sharpens iron. Nice. So you know that's one of those deals where you got to remember now when we're having competition, when we're playing one on ones against the defensive backs, all of us are very skilled and very talented and very athletic, and and each of us has some special qualities about each of us. But you know, you got to remember now when. We were all going through this, man. It was it was hard to get on the field. You know, these guys. If you got Ike, Jacquez, um, Redell, myself, Chris Doran, vying for time, it was hard for Travis Travis McGriff was getting on the field with us. Uh, you know, you had guys that was that were good in their own right, but they had eight hundred pound gorillas in front of them. <laughs> so, you know, it just was one of those deals to where. You couldn't, nobody took a back seat to anybody. And when we competed, we competed at the highest level against each other first before we even go and play anybody else. Speaking of competing at the highest level, again, in 94 ends with another SEC championship matchup against Bama, winning this one again. Obviously, you alluded to um, that being the end. Did you know going into that game that you were going to be going pro or, or, or was it like something that came together after the game or do you remember your mindset back then? Uh, I, everybody knew I was going pro by then. I went to the um, – <laughs> Coach Spurry knew I was going. Coach Spurry already knew. Everybody already knew. Worst kept secret, huh? And so I went to uh, senior day. Uh, I participated in senior day. So <laughs> everybody knew I wasn't coming back then. That was no shocker. Yeah. That wasn't – 
I was already gone. I was halfway out the door anyway. So looking back at your time at UF, what did you learn from a young Coach Spurrier back then? Um, how to run routes. And crazy to say that because when I look back at it, the Coach Dixon was the one we spent all our time with. Um, and we spent a lot of time, you know, as a receiver, you spend a lot of time with the quarterbacks and the quarterback coach, which was Coach Spurrier then. So you, you learn some nuances uh, in which – he did a lot of instructing as far as showing us what to do and how to do it. But, you know, he he wasn't like uh, – that was Coach Dixon that was doing all that. Coach Dixon kept us focused. Coach Dixon's the one that we all really confided in. You know, at that time, we didn't have – we obviously had relationships with Coach Burrier, but not like day-to-day like we talking to him. and all that. He's this different kind of cat. <laughs> so, you know, so he definitely – instructed us and we spent a lot of time in film room together and and uh him picking apart some stuff and and and, and showing us insights to where he's looking at stuff and what he's thinking uh if this if this coverage does this then you just who should expect to get the ball and you know so it was a lot of that but it was very knowledgeable to coach with coach Spurry because he saw it from a different angle than a lot of people saw it are there any other memories from your time at UF on or off the field that are special or, or pop in your mind once in a while that we didn't touch on? And I had, I got plenty of memories. I just, I had a great experience. I really did. I had, um, I, I was fortunate enough to, to play with a bunch of great guys and, and, uh, had some, I still have some really good friends from those teams and I speak to a few of them uh, a lot. And another thing I really embrace is, we were doing it at a time where it was just beginning for Florida, really. Uh-huh. We were like the pioneers. The trailblazers. That's why it hurts my heart to look back and look at some of the struggles now that Florida has because those are struggles that were already passed. Now they got to reestablish yourself and, and put their foothold in college football mm-hmm. to where it used to be that everything went through Gainesville. When it did go through Gainesville and you were there, you caught some balls for some of the best who ever threw in an orange and blue. I'm talking Shane Matthews, obviously uh, Danny before his Heisman, Kressler and Terry Dean in there. Um, I'm, obviously, it didn't matter who threw it to you. You were you were going to be making plays. But um, did, did, was one of them um, like the, the man who knew just to put it in the right spot for you or, or had a particular pretty throw that you enjoyed catching a ball from? Uh-huh. Not really. I enjoyed catching all of them. Uh, and they're all different, though. That's the That's the crazy thing. Shane threw a very nice ball, had enough velocity, but, you know, not too hard, not too soft, but just it just like melts in your hand. And then, uh, obviously, I played with Terry Dean. Terry Dean threw a ball that was probably a little bit more, um, a little harder than the others, but he was very good and had great touch. Um, Danny just basically, you know, he just take his steps and throw as far as he could, and he just had receivers that could just go get it. <laughs> he sure did. So, yeah, so he, you know, I remember Coach Spur used to say, Danny, just take your steps and throw as far as you can. They'll go get it. <laughs> so, and that's basically, you know, when I look back at it I, and I, I look at his performances, man, he, he was very good about just understanding that he had so many weapons around him and just don't mess it up. Just put it out there. So your touchdown celebrations have been referenced on this show. Uh, certainly Jabbar Gaffney had a discussion with us about it. Are, are there a few that you look back on and, and enjoyed? Uh, yeah, I, the one against Florida State, 
the one against Florida State where I juggled the one in the swamp for a touchdown and had the heart attack. <laughs> that one was probably that was probably that was probably my, my best one because I I'm a I'm an avid Sanford and Son guy. It's the big one, Elizabeth. Oh yeah, it's the big one. <laughs> yeah, it's the big. Yeah, one. it's the big one, baby. Yeah, so so that was that was my favorite. That's one of my favorite celebrations, and uh, I guess the one at SEC Championship in Legion Field at the first one up in Birmingham. That was nice too. So yeah, those are probably some of my best memories. Coach Spree ever give you any hassle for any of them? No, no, he never did. He never did. I always tell people, I said, man, because the the year I left, guys were calling me and saying. Man, you all over this uh, this rules with stuff you can't do. You're all over the, the celebrations. That you're all over all of them. Example of what yeah. not to do. Yeah, what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you move on to the NFL. You get drafted by the Bears in 95, and, and you're there for a couple seasons. How do you feel about your – you said earlier that you were already feeling the effects of, of your body wearing down and your previous injuries and your knee and everything. Man, to be honest, I, my body was feeling so bad that – I couldn't stay healthy to even help them. I couldn't stay healthy to to show them what I'm really capable of doing because every time I looked up, I was in the training room with knee issues. Uh, I got there basically damaged. Had to have a shoulder surgery. I just my body was was declining. And you went in the fourth round, so I'm assuming the NFL teams knew. Mm-hmm. Of some of your injuries, I'm, I'm assuming, because you had such a monster year and put together such a great career at UF uh, that I would imagine you would have won a lot earlier. I was I was like, everybody thought I was going in the first round. Every, everybody thought I was going in the first round. Um, and I thought I was going in the first round. What I didn't realize was out of 30, 32 teams back then, mm-hmm. I had failed like 27 of the teams physical. Wow. Oh. So only five people on the board in Chicago being one of them that I was even eligible for because I had failed the physicals. Bad timing. Hmm. As a cocky, arrogant guy at that point, I didn't know. I I thought still I was going in the first round, but I, not until after it was over that I realized why I didn't. So how are you doing today? Or are your knees? Oh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just 50 years old. I'm just old. They, they still ain't. <laughs> We're not much younger, Jack. We're getting there too, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're right behind you. So, so what do you do with yourself? What What are you up to these days? Have you been back to the swamp? I've been in the car business, oh, okay. man. I've been in the car business for twenty four years. Okay, so yeah, I've been in the car business for twenty four years. All right, so do you want to say what city? Maybe people will come out and, and buy some cars off you. I've been in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for ooh. Man, I've been in Baton Rouge for 20, like six, 26, 27 years. Do you enjoy the Sugar Bowl that much? <laughs> Is that what? <laughs> I know, right? Man, I, I've been here. I've, I love it here. How do they treat you out there in Tiger Country? Or, or, are you uh enemy behind the lines there? No, I, I, I've had a great time because I've never lost to LSU, so I've never had a problem here. <laughs> there you go. They weren't quite as good in the 90s as they have been lately, right? <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered, though. We still would have did the same thing. Of course. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you ever get back to the Swamp for any games? I do. I usually come like once a year. I haven't in the last two years because of COVID. But, yeah, I usually do a game or two a year. All right, Jack. So we're going to end with this. Uh, we usually end with some kind of bit. And we're going to do a five for five. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a teammate of yours uh, at Florida. 
And you got to tell us the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. Shane Matthews. Cool. All right. Kevin Carter. Dominant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Eric Rett. Hardworking. James Bates. Clown. Correct answer. <laughs> uh, Ellis Johnson. Nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any stories about Ellis for us? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show with us today, and, and you've been more gracious with your time. And I want everybody out there listening in Gator Nation to the All for the Gators podcast to know that when you're watching the Gators play and they reference number one and how special it is and the prestige that comes with it and only the upper echelon of top playmakers get it like Harvin and Reggie Nelson and Tony and now Pearsall, right? Well, you got to realize where that all started with the style, the power, the swagger, and the records from Jack Jackson, baby. Hmm. Own it, Jack. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Jack. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, it was a great conversation. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you being on the show. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, great stories. Glad you took some time out to talk to us, and uh, glad you're doing well in the car dealership. We appreciate you. Very generous with your time, and absolutely, if you're ever in the South Florida area, let us know. We'd love to take you out for a drink and hear some more war stories <laughs> with you. No problem. Appreciate it, guys. Very cool, man. The guy... One of the first guys with swagger at UF really set the bar. Delivering a number one quality interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Nice job. Well played. Yeah. Hey, uh, Andy, you going to stick around for our two bits this this uh, episode? Yeah, I think I'll stick around this time. You don't have any prior engagements <laughs> this week? If my computer doesn't crash again. <laughs> All right. So first, before we get to the two bits, once again, we're going to do our January bracket challenge. Favorite Gators wide receiver and man. We've had some great ones on the show, uh, especially the last couple of weeks. Redell Anthony, we had Jack Jackson today. Jabbar Gaffney uh, earlier. In the past, we had Jabbar Gaffney. Chris Doring. Chris Doring. Chris Doring, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's just a ton of them. So once again, we're going to put it on social media. People are going to comment with their favorite wide receivers. And if he's already commented, you like it, that acts as a vote. And then that gets compiled. The seating is set. Head-to-head matchups after that, all the way till a winner is crowned. Hopefully that's up by the time this airs. How about that? (laughs) All right, let's get to our two bits. I was remarkably impressed with the level of confidence they had. It seemed like every question we had, it always circled back that he never had any doubt from the very beginning that he was going to be remarkably successful, changing positions, going to another state, sitting uh, through a red shirting, whatever they threw at his way, his injuries. It seemed like it was a no question. It was already a foregone conclusion that he was going to be an all-time great, great Gator receiver and ultimately go to the NFL and get drafted. And um, I, I believe if he was healthy, um, that he probably could have had a bigger impact in the NFL. It's a shame that we didn't get to see more of what he had. But my gosh, did he show us a lot when he was in Gainesville. Very nice. That's great. Um, I think we should make Sid go last going forward, though, because in his massive pontifications, he always covers everybody's two bits. <laughs> he, he says his, and then he rattles off like five more. You're welcome. Um, but no. It's always thorough, and it's great, and I love it. Got to bring my A game. Don't change. Andy, your two bits. All right. My two bits is going to be about that he was a running back all through high school uh, and actually didn't play receiver except for one game and actually was noticed at a camp because his coach wanted him to be seen, had him play receiver. And then he goes on to get recruited 
at schools that wanted him to be running back, and then Florida wanted him to be a receiver. And so he ended up at Florida and had this incredible career at receiver. Pretty impressive at the the athlete that he was. And we hear people that come in that play different positions, like he mentioned, but to become as good as he was, as fast as he was, uh, without having that previous experience was pretty cool. Pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It could have been the next rocket. He was being recruited maybe as the next uh, missile. A missile. Quadrius male. <laughs> no, he was, no, that's what they played Syracuse. He wasn't being recruited by them. Right. Um, but he came to Florida and the rest is history. And my two bits is that when he left UF, he had the all-time receiving touchdowns record at 29. And, you know, as he was saying, if he would have came, and I know we say this about several other guys too, you know, if I would have came back, I would have, you know, Jabbar Gaffney and, 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 you know, other players, how many they would have had with one more year. But he's in that conversation oh, yeah. where if he would have came back and had another 15 or, say, 12, he would have obliterated the record. Yep. <laughs> Danny could have definitely landed them to him for sure. Oh, yeah. So you don't think about that when you see his name in the record books at number two. But if you really dissect it, it's pretty damn amazing uh, what he was able to accomplish at the beginnings, the early ramblings, if you will, of the fun and gun in a young Head ball coach there in Steve Spurrier in Florida. Yeah, that's right. In the early 90s. Yeah. Not a two-bit, but one thing that I just found interesting was when he was talking about the pros. No, this is three bits. You're breaking the rules. How he failed all that's right. <laughs> how he failed all those physicals. It, it's interesting to me, you know, obviously not never being in a position to be drafted in the NFL draft. Uh, so I don't know what the process is like, but right, he doesn't find out till afterwards that he's failed all those physicals. And didn't I'm trying to think. As he was saying that, I was trying to think who we had on. I'm drawing a blank. I still am on. It was Earl Everett with uh, who's the head coach of the Bengals at the time. Oh, yes. Marvin Lewis. Yes. Yes. Marvin Lewis called him and said, yeah, exactly. So same thing. Like he had no idea that they even knew about his ankle injury. So I guess, you know, you do, you do these physicals and it's interesting that the players, maybe it's different now, but that they didn't know. Sure. That they didn't pass a physical. Another informative Amazing interview here on All for the Gators podcast, and we're going to be giving out some Jack Jackson signed swag. So here's something. How about we give it away now, even though we're not live, right? Caller 10. Uh, no, we can't do that. But Are you going to give Sid a prize? No, no. Are you finally giving Sid a prize? I'm not giving Sid a prize. I'm calling right now. I want in. <laughs> I'm going to save it till it's really, really special. I finally get something. Um, if a listener is streaming the All for the Gators podcast, however you get your podcasts, uh, and you're listening to this right now, if you're the first person to post and tag, and how do you say it on Twitter? Add us or tag us on Twitter? Tweet. And uh, I don't even know how to say it, man. I'm not on social media, and I know that Twitter, you tweet. Okay. No. Come on. Right. Okay. So they're going to tweet, but they're going to add us, right? They're going to add A4TG podcast and they're going to put Jack Jackson, the OG number one. There you go. I like it. And whoever's the first person to do that, I am going to send a uh, signed Jack Jackson rookie card and he's going to be in his Gators uniform. So if my daughter does that now before you're done editing it, it might be suspicious, right? I got to wait a little while. Anybody with the last name Kafka does not win. <laughs> oh, sorry. <man. laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, it's been a blast, and once again, you know, we have these scheduled for weeks and weeks out. You can catch us, WJXL, 
home of the Gators in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Sports Radio. Hello, Jacksonville. On their podcast section. What's that? Hello, Jacksonville. Yeah, man. We love them. We love them up there, down there, wherever you are, um, from where you're listening. People are listening all around the world, kids. Uh, we have United Kingdoms. We have Europe. We have uh, four or five other countries besides the U.S. And we did get, and this is the last thing I'll talk about. Um, we did get a summary from Buzzsprout, which is our hosting site where we put our podcast on and then it's, you know, it's distributes it to all the directories, you know, Apple and Google Audible and everything. And we finished last year after only eight episodes in the top 50% of podcasts on Buzzsprout. Wow. That's crazy. Very impressive. Oh, It is. If you think about it, it's pretty crazy. We must be doing something right. Thank you to all our friends out there listening. That's right. Share us. Uh, share us with your Gator friends, with Gator Nation. A lot of really cool information and stories and bits that you didn't know. Uh, you're going to find out right here on this podcast. And just wait. There's much, much more to come. I learned something every time. Absolutely. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure once again. Go Gators. Go Gators. Gentlemen, go Gators.